Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, February 8th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Mercedes brings us the latest on the ongoing trucker protest now into its 12th day, which has made life very difficult for residents living in Ottawa's downtown core. Today is Safer Internet Day, a chance to shine the spotlight on the dangers our kids are exposed to in the online world. We discuss the issue and what we as parents can do to safeguard our children with Kristen Duval, a senior research analyst with the RCMP. According to a recent study, Canada ranks among the worst countries for protecting whistleblowers. We get details of the study and what more needs to be done to protect those who have a need to come forward with issues in the workplace with Tom Devine, legal director of the Government Accountability Project. And finally, are you officially hooked on Wordle? It's the most popular game on the internet right now. And if you want more, you're in luck. We check in with the gadget guy, Mike Yanni, for details on how you can access an archive of past Wordle challenges. Well, from the ousting of Aaron O'Toole to the ongoing siege in Ottawa, it's been another busy week in our nation's capital. With insight into the news making headlines, we are joined by Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson. Good morning to you, Mercedes. Good morning. You want to unpack, you know, the Ottawa situation first, and this is something that you're not just covering. As you've uh, chronicled to us on the program, this is where you live. So if you can give us a a snapshot of what the past 24 hours have been like, and even up till this morning, and and have things improved at all. Yeah, I can actually tell you, um, I'm at my home right now, and I can hear the engines uh, of some of the semis running through the walls. Um, they are not beeping anymore, which is a huge relief because uh, you know how annoying it is when you're sitting in traffic and cars are beeping. This is dozens and dozens of semi-trailer tractors with highway air horns that were all honking in stereo for hours and hours every single day. And that was extremely hard on, on people downtown because there's no way you can get away from it. You, you can put in earplugs you could still hear it. So this quiet <laughs> is, is amazing. Um, people's ears are ringing from the horrors going for days, but there was an injunction that made it through court last uh, yesterday, uh, and it's a 10-day injunction on honking. And basically the judge said, yes, you have a right to freedom of speech. There is nothing to suggest that, you know, honking is really a form of freedom of speech. Um, And on top of that, there is evidence that this could be causing lasting damage when they started um, measuring the decibel levels of how loud the honking was and how long it was going on for. So the truckers have seemed to have been abiding by this. Um, I have heard a very brief honk here or there, but it has been very, very quiet. Um, And certainly where I live, which is several blocks off Parliament Hill, uh, which has just been blockaded for, you know, well over a week. We're now into day 12, I believe, of this. Uh, For us, in terms of being able to drive down the street, um, it's thinning out. However, you still can't really drive down the street because they're parked horizontally across it. So even if there aren't vehicles lining all the way back, you still can't pass the block 
because there'll be two vehicles um, across each other, and there are still several vehicles with their wheels that are taken off um, sitting in intersections as well. Mercedes, I've read an interesting article that said, you know, having this blockade in Ottawa at our nation's capital, pretty much bringing the city and, and, you know, that whole area to a halt is a really bad look on the international stage as people look and think, you know, people are able to hold this city hostage. Why? Just is it that we are Canadian and we never expect Expected something like this to happen. Why have police or the RCMP or the government not been able to really step in and find a solution to this thing? Well, that's a great question, and there's, there's a many faceted answer to it. And, and you're right about the international attention. Um, I've been doing some hits for BBC. Um, I had a senior producer from CBS call me yesterday because they're sending a crew up here from the it's a big American network. Both were, were married to Canadians, by the way, by chance, and they said, "I've been to Ottawa." What's happening in Canada? This is supposed to happen in the U.S. It's not supposed to happen in Canada. Uh, a lot of people are shocked by it. And, and the police um, were simply unprepared in a lot of ways, it seems. And the media were asking before this happened, like, what's your plan? What's your plan? And they basically said, oh, it's just going to be a traffic issue. It'll come in and leave. They were totally unprepared for the reality that once big rigs and farm equipment made it into downtown, they might simply turn off their engines and just refuse to move. Um the police chief here has said that they are outnumbered. Uh, there's 1,200 police officers in Ottawa. He has written a letter to the premier asking for 1,800 more officers. So he's trying to more than double the size of the police force. He said that he's unable to confront them uh, because of a fear of violence and that there's simply too many. And that was really shocking for people in Ottawa, because we live in a country where we're used to, if someone's breaking the law, you call the police and the police enforce the law. And suddenly residents of a downtown of the capital of a G7 country mm-hmm. are being told we cannot enforce the law. Not that this is a lawful protest anymore. He's declared it unlawful, but that we cannot enforce the law. And even when they said they were going to do things like cut off the fuel supply, uh, because jerry cans with diesel and gasoline and propane containers were being taken right up onto Parliament Hill to refuel the trucks, to fuel barbecues, to fuel saunas. Um, The police said they were going to crack down on that, but our crews got all kinds of footage yesterday of people walking by them, and the protesters play a bit of a shell game, too. Like, they filled some of these containers with water, so when the police stopped them, they would drink out of them to show, oh, look, it's water. Mm. Well, that one container might be, or the other 12. We don't know. Um, So there are more police that are supposed to be coming to Ottawa to help with this, but there's still a ton of issues. Tow truck drivers don't want to tow people because they're worried, they say. Um, there are still a large number of people. And more importantly, there's political grievances here. You can have a police solution in that you force them out of the downtown eventually and hope there isn't violence, but you can't simply police away the frustration with COVID, the frustration with the mandates, or, or any of the concerns about the extremist and radical elements that are involved. I want to talk about, you know, whether or not... Uh, personal attacks to a certain extent uh, have increased toward you, Mercedes, because in 2022, uh, reporters and anchors, journalists, very accessible, and it's a double-edged sword. You want to be able to talk to people. But at the same time, I was reading on your Twitter, I believe over the past few days, that you'd had even anti-Semitic uh, you know, rhetoric thrown your way, threats, and you came out at one point and said, hey, you know what, although I'm not uh, of the Jewish faith, I'm not, uh, I'm not Jewish, I am going to come at you because uh, hate speech is illegal in Canada. Have you seen things like this and these incidents ramp up over the past uh, couple of weeks? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The the amount of blatant threats 
um, of just really crude, aggressive language. Um, you know, you pick the phone up to answer our news tip line and it's someone screaming a, a stream of expletives demanding that you talk about how peaceful the protest is. <laughs> which is a little bit ironic yeah, because twice. that doesn't seem like the most peaceful way to start a conversation. Um, it's not violent, but it certainly is not respectful. And one of the things I, I try to do with these callers is actually talk to them because I think people are angry and there's a lot of anger here. There's lots mm-hmm. of protesters who we've spoken to who do not react to us that way. Um, and, and we say, like, look, talk to us. Tell us your story because we do put truckers on the air. We do put other folks on the air. We're not trying to misrepresent you, but, you know, we... We have to talk to you to understand your story. And we actually went down to uh, the baseball stadium parking lot. They were staging out of, which, by the way, super sophisticated, very well organized. And the organizer down there said, you know, come on in the tent. He talked to us about what was going on. We were able to get a really interesting story. Uh, but the flip side is that we have crews being followed, being threatened, being screamed at, people trying to shove them. Uh, you've seen some of it online. And that's extremely concerning because those are people out trying to do their job. Uh, And whether or not people agree with the media, you don't have a right to harass people, to follow people, or to threaten their families. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really concerning because if you're saying you're out there for freedom, but you're trying to impede on someone else's freedom to do their job, you got to kind of think that one through. And that's concerning to me on on a deep level. And and the anti-Semitism to me is certainly... Very concerning, as you mentioned. I am not Jewish, but I work with people who are. I I, I, I have friends and family, um, extended family through my former husband who are. Um, and to see this stuff is just shocking to me in Canada, mm-hmm. that people would think that this is acceptable. Um, and I call it out not to try to paint anyone with any brush. I do not think that it's you know a widely held belief in Canada, but if you don't point out this stuff exists, people tend not to believe it because we think we're Canadians and this can't happen here, but it is happening here. And we need to see that and we need to call it out for what it is. Mercedes, we have so much more to talk to. Do you have a few more minutes? Can we bring you back sure. after the commercials? You can. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Mercedes Stevenson, we'll be right back with her after two minutes of commercials. Still with us, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson. Thanks, Mercedes, to hang around with us for a bit. Um, I wanted to ask you about this because I'm curious. I, I've heard you know, from both sides that there, this may or may not be true. Have you found any truth that American or foreign players are involved in backing or financial backing of this protest that's happening in Ottawa? Well, there's a lot of public backing of it right now uh, from people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, this uh, Republican congresswoman. Um, We have seen other very prominent U.S. Uh, Republicans and media personalities on the right encouraging people to support the trucker protest. The chief of police in Ottawa says that um, some of the money that's being sent is actually from Americans. We haven't been able to see any of it for ourselves to break this down. Before the convoy even got here, um, national security sources were raising concerns with me that there could be Russian or Chinese financial backing. And that, by the way, doesn't suggest the organizers always know where that money is mm-hmm. coming from. Mm-hmm. It shows up in their GoFundMe. Um, but that there's often a motivation by foreign actors to contribute to anything that might be seen as um, creating discord. Uh, or making things difficult in the capital, or unraveling that social fabric. Um, and so there's there's a lot of questions around that. We know that uh, FinTrack, which is the financial agency that tracks irregular 
funding, so things like organized crime uh, or terrorism, they watch those organizations. They're digging around in this a little bit. So is CSIS, so is the RCMP, um, still trying to figure it out. It was concerning enough to go fund me, uh, more so the organizers' activities, which they said they'd seen evidence of um, of violence uh, and things that broke their rules, so they shut down the GoFundMe. But another organization um, that was also involved in obtaining some of the funding for January 6th in the United States allowed the fundraisers to use their platform. Um, And so far, we haven't seen any sign of a shortage of money, but that would be one of the key ways to try to cut off the protest if you are the police or the government, is to dry up the money. Because I can tell you, um, my goodness, the amount of supplies they have uh, and gas, there's no shortage of funding. When when I was walking to work uh, yesterday morning, looking around, you could see, like, Costco-sized towers of paper towel, of baby wipes, of tampons, of anything you could think that people need when they're camped out. Um, and there was more and more trucks pulling up full of it. Um, so there, there are questions about where the money is coming from, and we don't have answers to that yet. But it was a lot of money very, very fast. And certainly some of that was donated by Canadians. I've fielded calls from people who mm-hmm. say, why are these questions being raised? The money's coming from us. Well, um, Certainly, I think there there are Canadians who are donating. There's no question about that. <clears throat> but the question is whether that's where all of the money came from. And the other question, which is answered now, is whether there is political support for this in the U.S. and abroad. And we've actually seen that openly expressed. Mm. Wow, what a, what a very busy time. And I think I speak for all of us when I say it'd be nice to have, you know, not a lot to talk about uh, nationally. <laughs> but, uh, boy, uh, you've been keeping busy, and we appreciate all your work, Mercedes. Thank you for spending time with us once again. Thanks for having me. That is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block. The pandemic has forced children and teens to spend even more time online than ever before. This has led to an increase in online bullying and a dramatic increase in online sexual exploitation. With details on what needs to be done to help protect our kids while online, we are joined by Kristen Duval, Senior Research Analyst for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Good morning to you, Kristen. Good morning. I think, uh, you know, Kristen, we, we know that our kids have to be online for school. They use it for entertainment and to communicate. So I, I think that most parents, you know, might not have exactly the, the stats and idea of just how prevalent online sexual exploitation is. Can you give us some sort of a, a picture here, Kristen? So very true. I think the average person doesn't realize how serious of an issue it is and how prevalent it is. I can tell you that at the RCMP within the National Child Exploitation Crime Center, last fiscal year we received over 52,000 reports related to online child sexual exploitation. And that's a 510% increase in what we received back in 2013 and 2014. So huge increases over the years. And that's only what we see at the center and not including the reports that victims are making directly to their local police. Talk about this and, and really focus on it year round. But is this pandemic related or is it just, you know, that these these creeps, the groomers, whatever you want to call them, are they getting better? Are they more? Are there more of them? Why are the numbers continuing to go up? They are going up for a number of reasons. Certainly the pandemic has played a role in that where for sure kids are spending more time online, but also offenders are spending more time online as well. As many people are working remotely or virtually, there is increased opportunities for offenders to commit these offenses. 
We're also seeing uh, proliferation in the different platforms that are being created and, and used by younger people as well. So as technology advances, as we're seeing more platforms come online, more users, then that also increases the opportunities for offending. Let's talk about that, Kristen, because yes, there are multiple platforms that our kids and teens are on. Um, are all platforms created equal when it comes to this exploitation? Or are there uh, one or two that really stand out that we should be aware of where the predators might be spending more time on? I would say that um, many different platforms have different features and some of them would make it more appealing or attractive for offenders to connect with victims. Any platforms that have chat functionality where you can engage publicly or privately with other users, those tend to be most at risk. And that includes social media applications, but also online gaming platforms. It's something that we don't often think about when we, we think about platforms and, and areas of risk. But many kids are playing games online where they can connect with other users and have private chats, which uh, is is an opportunity for increased risk for them. So, Kristen, we assume the experts, the RCMP, those people who are on the hunt to, to weed this out are, are doing their job to help us make sure that our kids are safe. But what do we as parents, as grandparents, what's, what are our responsibilities? Do we make sure that we have our kids' passwords and go check up on them constantly? What's your advice on that? I like to convey a 3E approach to our, our parents and caregivers where, first and foremost, educate educate yourselves on online safety on the risks that our young people may encounter online and through this become more aware of how to keep kids safer online through different age appropriate mechanisms and that could be implementing family rules or regulations monitoring and secondly engage engage your kids in these open and honest conversations so that they too become aware of the realities online. By having these conversations with our young people and increasing their awareness and helping them to understand where they can go for help and that you as a parent are there for them, that will open the dialogue and make it more likely that they'll come see you if they run into an uncomfortable situation or if they're being victimized online. And lastly, empower. We hope that our kids will feel empowered and be a part of the solution. And you as parents can take those steps to include them in this dialogue, have them teach you about these platforms and let them be in the driver's seat so that they feel like they're doing something about it too and can educate you. Because I'm sure many of us feel like we're constantly playing catch up with technology and these platforms our kids are much more educated and, and more familiar with them than we are. So mm-hmm. give them the opportunity to teach you. I'm wondering, you know, Kristen, to a certain extent, and I know it's a bizarre parallel, but I know that, you know, those hard conversations that parents have to have with their preteens and teens or even, you know, a little younger than that, when it comes to the birds and the bees, sometimes that's difficult enough with, uh, you know, not the knowledge of these different platforms and the dangers out there. Are there resources that parents can can lean on to get some idea as far as the conversations that they can have to have success? Absolutely. Our partners at the Canadian Centre for for Child Protection have phenomenal resources available for kids of all ages, devoted for parents as well, 
and their website is www.protectchildren.ca. So I highly recommend checking them out as well. And we also encourage you to uh, be aware of cybertip.ca, which is our public reporting tip line for instances of online child sexual exploitation. Thank you so much for joining us, Kristen. Really appreciate your time this morning on this Safer Internet Day. My pleasure. Thank you for speaking about this topic. Thank you. Kristen Duval, Senior Research Analyst with the RCMP, and I'll give you those websites she talked about again. One of them is protectchildren.ca, the other cybertip.ca. Have a look at them. The Washington-based Government Accountability Project ranked 61 countries on their whistleblowing protection laws list, and their findings have ranked Canada last, tied for last with Lebanon and Norway. With details on the findings, we're joined this morning by Tom Devine, Legal Director of the Government Accountability Project. Good morning to you, Tom. Thanks so much for joining us. Morning to you, folks. Thank you so much. So can you tell, tell us a little bit about the, the uh, Accountability Project? What exactly is it? Well, we're an organization who's dedicated to supporting whistleblowers. That's people who use free speech rights to challenge abuses of power that betray the public trust. Um, We help them by uh, defending them against retaliation up to the Supreme Court in the United States, investigating their charges to help them make a difference, um, and uh, fighting all the time to get stronger free speech rights for whistleblowers, and then monitoring the laws that are in place to see whether they're really delivering protection or whether they're a mirage. So I'm not sure, you know, I'm sure the list is long, but we rank very low on on this study. Why is it? What were some of the factors that put us at the bottom, Tom? Well, there's 20 basic criteria and teeth for genuine free speech protection. We say that um, a, a, a credible, legitimate whistleblower laws. It's like going into battle, battle um, <laughs> uh, when you're using your free speech rights to challenge misconduct. And you go into battle with a metal shield. You got a fighting chance to survive. It's dangerous, but you can make, you, you can defend yourself. You go in with a cardboard shield, and you're going to die. Uh, in Canada's law, we do like as a tissue paper shield. Uh, it doesn't uh, meet any of the 20 criteria for effective protection. In fact, the only one even on paper that it meets is to review the law after five years, which Canada didn't do. Um, So it's a complete failure. It's like getting a zero on a a zero to 100 score. Uh, It doesn't, um, uh, it puts the whistleblower's motives on trial. If they try to blow the whistle, it doesn't protect them against abuse of authority. It only protects the whistleblower, not the people who are working with them. It doesn't have legal burdens approved. Uh, it allows their confidential whistleblowers to be exposed and outed. Um, uh, it, um, it doesn't have access to a, a day in court. Um, to have a, a fair trial to defend yourself. Uh, if you file a lawsuit, you have to go through a, a highly corrupt ethics commissioner who has to give you the green light to have a day in court. And they've only allowed, um, um, there have only been two decisions uh, since 2006 uh, under this law. Uh, two, two decisions for your whole country in 15 years where people have had a day in court and had a chance to defend themselves. And both times they lost. And it took them around 2,500 days to have their rights thrown in the garbage can. Uh, This law is a bad joke. It's a trap. It's false advertising. So clearly there are lots of examples of countries that do it better, 60 of them particularly on this list. So what needs to be done better to protect whistleblowers in Canada? What, What do you think might, if we could take examples from other countries? 
the 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 key for a breakthrough is due process. Um, uh, whistleblowers have to be able to have access to court um, uh, to confront their accusers and present all the evidence of retaliation. Uh, after that, you have to have burdens of proof, so there's fair rules of the game. You have to have rights that are there when you need them. Um, for example, Canada's law doesn't protect people who challenge abuse of authority, which is the main reason you have whistleblower laws. Um, uh, Canada's law puts your motives on trial. You have to show that um, um, that your motives were altruistic and that there wasn't any self-interest involved. Um, well, that's totally irrelevant to the quality of your evidence. Um, uh, the, the four cornerstones are rights when you need them fair rules of the game, access to court for due process so you can defend yourself, uh, and then a, a fair remedy so that if you win the case, you're at least back to even and you don't lose by winning. Um, Canada's law needs those four cornerstones as a start. Tom, can you break down the different uh, industries uh, that were in the study, uh, different organizations? Is it solely government institutions that were looked at? Or are these independent businesses and of what type of business? Well, that's um, another way that Canada is behind the pace. Um, most national whistleblower laws, in fact, um, almost almost all of the 62 national whistleblower laws, are cover any employees, public or private. Uh, Canada's whistleblower law only covers government workers, private sector employees. Um, they're off the bus. Like a Hollywood movie, or I think big American companies, is it quite common for? Is it, is it maybe the terminology that it's a bit confusing too? What is a whistleblower? Who, who might be an example of that? Just in everyday kind of the world. Well, whistleblowers are, are people who use free speech rights to challenge abuses of power, betraying the public. And I think a good example would be Jeffrey Wigand, uh, who exposed that the tobacco industry was. Um, putting addictive substances um, and cancer-causing substances into the uh, the cigarettes uh, when they were supposed to be making them safer uh, and lied about it. Uh, or there's um, uh, Edward Snowden, who exposed that NSA was illegally um, engaging in surveillance against uh, um, uh, every American with <laughs> a telephone or used a computer. Uh, or there's FDA scientists um, like Dr. Rick Bright, who uh, prevented the country from being um, uh, swamped with a malaria drug to deal with COVID. Uh, or Dr. David Graham, who got a Vioxx, a, a super painkiller that was really a killer painkiller off the market because it had killed 40,000-plus Americans after the FDA declared it safe. Um, these are the people who keep the power structure on its toes. Mm. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong, but they ask the hard questions that we need to confront um, the power structure with, and they change the course of history. I'm wondering, uh, Tom, can we break this down into non-union jobs and uh, union jobs? Like, I'm wondering if people are more apt to be a whistleblower if they might have the protection of a union behind them without maybe fear of, of uh, retribution or losing their jobs? Um, having a union behind you is a very significant advantage because it gives you um, not only solidarity, which is the key for surviving when you blow the whistle, um, but it also allows you to launder the truth through that organization if you want to remain confidential or anonymous. Uh, and uh, we work very closely with unions um, uh, where a union leader will blow the whistle on behalf of 
members who wanted to remain uh, anonymous. Really interesting discussion. Thank you so much, Tom, for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Tom Devine, Legal Director of the Government Accountability Project. Mike Yanni. And we've got him on the line right now. And if if you're thinking about upgrading your smartphone, maybe you still have some Christmas money burning a hole in your pocket. Well, you may want to hold off for just a little bit longer. Tech specialist and gadget guy Mike Yanni joins us on Tech Tuesday to discuss why you might want to wait. And he brings us also some good news for those who just can't get enough of a Wordle, the hottest game out there right now, Sue. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. And oh, one sec, one sec. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. I got it in four. Sorry, I had to finish off my word. You beat me. I got it in five well, today. Let's, uh, let's, five. Uh, before we get to the phones, because you know me, I've still got my iPhone 4 with me here. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I want to get to that. But uh, Wordle, we can't get enough of it. It is everywhere. And uh, are you hooked on it? I play every day. <laughs> I do. I am. Um, I don't want to say I'm hooked, but yeah, I'm, I'm hooked. <laughs> and a lot of people are. But the thing is, you can only play once mm-hmm. a day. And that's kind of the charm. But some people want more. So here's a little tip. If you want to do more Wordle, Google Wordle Archive. So somebody has taken the database of all of the puzzles that have been released from the very beginning. So there's 233, and you can go one-to-one, back-to-back, and do all 233 of them. Wow. I don't know that people need that in their life in order to get anything accomplished, but that sounds like kind of fun. I like that. There are worse... There are worse time wasters. True, Come on. true. Okay, 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 so that's the sneaky way to get more Wordle. Let's talk about uh, ID. You know, I was having this conversation with my daughter, Mike, and she said, you know, it really makes me mad that my iPhone doesn't register my face with my mask on and it won't open. I have to actually put in my code. Maybe yeah. not for much longer. And do you feel guilty when you're out in public and you slip off your mask for like four seconds just so you can open up your phone? <laughs> yeah, yes. Like I look around, I'm like, oh, did anyone see that? No, no one noticed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Soon, you'll be able to open up your, your iPhone with Face ID with your mask on. So this is actually in beta right now. Apple is testing this out, and I've actually tried it. What you do is you re-register your face with your mask on. So instead of focusing on, you know, Face ID looks for a number of things on your face. Of course, it looks at your eyes. It looks at, you know, your mouth, your nose, and it puts it all together and say, okay, that's Andy, that's Sue. I'll open up the phone. So instead of focusing on everything, it takes a bigger focus on the eyes. So maybe your laugh lines, um, maybe your eyelashes, your eyebrows, Uh even looks at the crinkles on your forehead. Um, because, you know, at some point we all get crinkles on our forehead. Uh, and, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, it's just me. It's just me. Um, so and what it does is it looks for that. So it doesn't matter if you're wearing a mask or not. It'll still open up. Now, one little uh, caveat here is that if you wear glasses, you will have to wear your glasses and do your face scan. And if you wear a number of pair of glasses because you're in fashion, you're going to have to scan it each time oh. with your different pairs of glasses. Mm. That okay. being said, though, it works with toques, it works with ski goggles, it works actually fairly well. So this is a feature that could be coming out any day now. All right. Speaking of coming out any day now, we've got about a minute left here, Mike. I want to get this in. Samsung, the announcement you teased us and said, you know, you might want to hold off. Is it worth holding off for what Samsung has to tell us about some new phones? Yeah, Samsung's going to make a big announcement tomorrow morning, and they're expected to announce uh, up to maybe three, maybe even four phones. But what's interesting is it's expected that Samsung is going to go back to the high-end phones. There will be a couple of budget 
friendly phones as well. But they've actually kind of laid back on the high-end phones for the last couple of years uh, because, you know, during the pandemic, people uh, maybe didn't want to splurge as much uh, because of unsure about job uh, security and things like that. But they're going to go back with high-end. Another thing that there's rumor is that they're going to make part of their phone, at least, out of recycled fish nets that have been reclaimed from the ocean. Cool. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Oh, great info for us this week. Thank you, Mike, for joining us. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Mike Yanni is the Gadget Guy. You can find him on Twitter at Gadget underscore Guy, on Insta at Gadget Guy Mike. You can also find his YouTube channel. Just search Gadget Guy Mike Yanni. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.